Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, as always, Dina Sargent. Um, now, we all say parenting is a big thing. Step parenting is a whole other ball game. We're dealing with some of the things that either we have dealt with or are facing at the moment. Some might even argue that it is an even bigger aspect when joining an already created family or even combining two families. To help us, um, to help guide us through this topic is Lindsay Statton. She is working as a life coach as well as running a blog on different areas, included blended families. How are you going today, Lindsay? Doing well. How are you, Dina? I'm doing amazing. I'm trying to stay cool at the moment. So you can hear probably hear the aircon running in the background at some moments, but yeah, trying to stay cool here. We're having a cold snap here in Florida, which is unusual. So the heat might kick on here in a minute. Okay, good. Completely opposite ends of the world. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So do you mind telling the audience who don't already know you a little bit more about yourself and sort of how you got into talking about blended families? Absolutely. Um, I got married for the second time back in November of 2010, and I had a three-year-old, and my uh, soon-to-be husband had a 10-year-old and an eight-year-old, and um, every time I go through a new phase of life, I, I'm a big reader, so I want to read as much as I can. So I think it's probably just to feed myself a little more of the illusion of control. Um, there is no such thing as actually having control of your life, but I feel like the more prepared uh, I can be, the better. So before I got married the first time, I read lots of books on um, you know, newlywed issues. And then um, when I got pregnant, I read all about being pregnant. And then I had my baby. So I read about babies and toddlers. And um, then I was uh, getting divorced and separated. So I was reading about how, you know, to kind of do life after that. And then when I met um, my current husband, and looking at the prospect of having to combine two families, I started reading uh, books like crazy about blending families and step parenting and all of that just to be um, as prepared as possible. And um, after doing all this research, I've found that uh, there are a lot of families out there dealing with uh, similar issues. You don't have a whole lot of people talking about it. So I think just being willing to talk about it, to share what I've learned from you know my own research and my own experiences uh, has just uh, proved a surprising, um, a surprising audience for me, actually. 
That sounds like an incredible, incredible um, use of sort of learning everything, just sharing it around and similar to what we're doing now, just sharing as much of information as you can. And I think that's, it's an amazing start to probably a journey that you didn't expect through life. Absolutely. Nobody um, sits around as a girl and says, oh, I can't wait to uh, get married more than once and be a stepmother. People sit around and think, I can't wait to get married and be a mom. But yeah, stepmom is not something you sit around and fantasize about or plan for. It can have incredible blessings as well, but it's it's definitely a um, position in life that's born out of uh, some kind of brokenness. Mm-hmm. So um, it's not something anybody wishes for, but it, it can be something still very beautiful. Yeah, no, I, it's like shattered glass. It still becomes like a beautiful little vase or something Perfect. amazing. Yeah, so that's that's amazing. Um, so to get a little bit more knowledge about you and to learn a bit more about you, we're going to play a little icebreaker that we love to do for every guest. Okay. Um, just sort of sharing the first thing that comes to mind in this different areas. And yeah, we'll see, we'll see what we get. <laughs> okay. All right. So the first one is your favorite book. Oh, my favorite book. Let's see. I read an incredible biography. I'm, I'm very much into nonfiction. Um, just informational and learning. I'm kind of a nerd. I just feel like I need to know everything about everything. And I had a friend recommend to me a book by Eric Metaxas called Bonhoeffer, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And um, he was a a pastor and he was actually a spy um, within Nazi Germany. And he was against Hitler and the Nazis, and he was trying to work from the inside to dismantle um, that regime. And it is, Eric Metaxas is a phenomenal writer, and I had the privilege of meeting him, and I told him, you know, here's the thing about your writing style is on every single page, there is a line, um, a sentence or a phrase that I would be willing to frame and hang on my wall. Like just his style is just stunning. And the story is incredibly inspiring and um, hard to believe actually, but that's easily one of my favorite books. It's amazing how much you remember from like the person that you've read so much about and just all the different things that they, their life as well. Like I think biographies are probably one of the biggest things you can read about a person because usually it's written by either themselves or a ghostwriter. Right. So it's like deep in depth. It's not just what articles are written about him. It's like from his words. Exactly. Yeah. How about your favorite movie? Oh, my favorite movie. (laughs) It's kind of, um, it's not anything uh, award-winning. I don't think it's, um, I think it came out in 2001. It's called Almost Famous. Oh yeah. And did you see that? I've seen it before. It was Kate Hudson's breakout movie, and I love rock and roll history, and I love journalism. So it was about a, a rock journalist, and his. It, it's just one of my favorite movies, and my husband and I say quotes from it all the time. So he knows it whenever um, I'm sick or um, needs 
it's it's like my visual version of comfort food. He's like, you know, if I'm having a bad day, he goes, do you want to watch Almost Famous? I'm like, yes, that will help. So let's watch that. That's that's probably my favorite movie. <laughs> See, it's nice having someone that sort of recognizes that as well, being like, okay, this is what you need to watch in order to cheer you up, or in order to feel better. This is the movie. So exactly. Comfort exactly. films are, are very important, I think. Yes. How about your favorite podcast? Um, a podcast um, I was really enjoying recently is called the Boss Up Pod- Podcast. Mm-hmm. When I started uh, my life coach, life coaching business, um, I love the uh, the relationships and the conversations I have with people. But I'm not a business minded person. And uh, the girl that hosts this, her name is Lindsay Teague Moreno. And she just had a lot of really good practical business advice, especially when it's your own business, building your own business. I just, I just wanted, I, I wish I could have just handed all that off to someone else so I could just focus on the people and talking to the people. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's important for getting your brand out there and all that stuff. And so that, that was a really helpful podcast for me. Okay. Well, that's, that's always important to have. I love those podcasts that sort of teach you a lot more than you yes. would actually sit down and actually want to learn. So, right. yeah. How about a famous role model that you admire? Um, I really admire um, Brene Brown. She has uh, written a number of books that are also probably on my list of some favorite books. She's been on Oprah. Um, let's see. I believe she has something on Netflix right now. And she she did a TED Talk years ago that just exploded. And it was she's a researcher, a, psycholog- a psychology researcher, so not necessarily a therapist, but uh, very driven by data. And she spent 10 years researching the um, relationship between um, shame and courage and vulnerability. And it was just a fascinating read. And I just think um, in a culture where being vulnerable is uh, has such a negative connotation and you feel like vulnerable, it, the, even the word, it makes you feel scared and anxious, but how it can be, she talks about how it can be a source of great courage and um, how important it is in relationships to have a certain level of vulnerability just for the sake of connection. And in order to talk about it, she puts herself out there quite a bit, which I admire. It's um, it's really, really hard for a lot of people to be vulnerable. And then for relationship junkies like me, just being given permission to, hey, go ahead, put yourself out there because that's what people connect with. So I would say she's definitely a role model for sure. Wow. She sounds like it could learn a lot from her very, very easily. <laughs> How about a favorite course that you've completed? Oh, like I said, I, I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly trying to learn different things. Um, big stage of life researcher. So right now I'm reading a lot about um, um, having grown children. Uh, now that I have two kids that are out of the house that are in college and one who's still in high school, um, how 
your relationships as a parent change with, you know, having grown children, children who are growing up and leaving the house and, you know, wanting to maintain that uh, relationship as much as possible. So I would say that's something I'm studying deeply right now, just again, trying to do everything right, (laughs) trying to maintain some sense of control, but really just to, just to try to maintain relationships. Um, Relationships are everything to me. And so if I can read uh, what some other experts are saying and try to bring that into practice, I'm always willing to do that. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think you can learn a lot from other people and other people's life experiences as well. So when they're willing to share it, it's like even more, even more impactful. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So talking about what we brought you on to here to talk about, sort of just the um, in-depth sort of look into step parenting, because it's not something that is, like you said earlier, we don't talk about it that often. It's not written about so often because it's not something that you really plan your life for, I think, like we've said earlier. So when you think of the definition of family, do you have a certain definition for it? Um, I think the definition is constantly changing. And uh, back when um, I was a child, and even when I was married the first time, it was very clearly defined, Um, uh, mom, dad, kids, um, then I guess the word they use is nuclear family, um, is, is kind of just the, the baseline definition I think of, but as I've, you know, grown and have experienced different kinds of families and different relationships and been a part of different families, uh, I would say, uh, that's definitely, uh, open for discussion, how you define family and mm-hmm. even, even these days, I find myself referring to um, even very close friends as family. Um, my mother-in-law, uh, my husband's mother, was in town last week, and we had some dear friends over for dinner. And I'm like telling her, I'm like, these people are part of our family, and uh, we're not related in any way. But um, I feel like family is now kind of... Um, as a child, you need more structure in your family and your definition of family in your younger years. And then as you get older, you just kind of um, surround yourself with people who unconditionally love you and support you and are there for you. And I think family, you know, the definition is um, much more open to translation now. No, I I definitely agree. I love the idea of I think I definitely agree with you. When I was younger, you sort of understood it as a, okay, it's like the very, like you said, nuclear family. And there's a very hard set definition as to you can't choose your family. But as you get older, you realize you can choose, choose who your family members are and who you want to be in your family. And I, I love that we're now able to do that. I think you're able to now recognize that you can choose who you want to be a part of your life. And that does make, that does sort of equal up to your family. You might not be related to them, but having a connection with them, I think is, is even more important. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's all about that connection and that uh, sense of uh, safety. So what do you think the position of a family is in today's society? 
Um, I think it's still very important. Um, the, the definition may change, but um, just to have, um, let's see, what am I trying to say? Just trying to have a, um, a go-to, a safe place, a starting point, a foundation. That's what I was trying to think of the word. Um, just having something really sturdy and steady under you by way of relationships. And I think um, for years when choosing your family wasn't uh, really something that a lot of people did, it was, it was nice to have that blood relation. And that was your obligation to someone else is even if you weren't um, necessarily someone you would choose, they were, your family and you were there. And I think, I think that still applies, um, in most situations, but I think also, um, people giving themselves permission to, um, invest in other people and build into other people and offer that, uh, unconditional support is really starting to, um, become a legitimate, um, source of family and, um, as long as there's, um, as long as there is a, a small group, a large group, um, people that you can 100% count on, and, and you'd like to think that that's your uh, blood family. It's not always the case anymore, and um, sometimes beyond circumstances beyond your control, but it's important to have some semblance of family, um, no matter what that looks like. I still think it's very important in society. Mm-hmm. No, I I definitely agree with you. I think it, I think it definitely holds a difference in because of the definition that we see it, and it definitely holds such a different stance than it did from uh, let's say 10, 20 years ago. It it's different, but it's still very the sim the similar concept than what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how do you define parental relationships in general? Um, I think a parental relationship is, um, from a position of a parent, um, I'm right. I'm kind of in the middle now where I have, uh, I'm still very much a child to my parents. Um, and as my mother, um, told me when my daughter was born. Um, I remember she pointed to my daughter who was playing on the floor and she said, do you see that child there? She said, that is how I see you. That is how I will always see you. And um, I totally, I totally understand that now. She kept saying, wait, she kept saying, wait till you're a mother, wait till you're a mother. And um, unfortunately she is as always right. Uh, um, okay. So there's that. Uh, it's just, um, it is. It is. It is unconditional love for another being. You want to pour everything you know into them. Um, you want to help them in every situation, any kind of pain they experience. You have a desperate and almost panicky sort of desire to make it go away, uh, to fix things that you cannot fix. And um, I heard another quote that said, becoming a parent, there." your ability to love increases exponentially as well as your ability to fear. 
And um, so, yes, you are just madly in love with this creature that um, you are now responsible for. And all of a sudden you are seeing <laughs> danger everywhere and you become, I, I used to be, um, let's see, much more polite, I think, person. And then when I became a mother, that instinct, that that mama bear that that is what people some call it. I uh, got much more um, feisty and <laughs> as sometimes not even necessary, not even necessarily, but uh, just pre- very protective and really willing to uh, go to links that I never thought I would uh, in order to protect um, my child, my children. I think I think that's an insane. Like especially when you're talking about the your mom being right and how she's always going to see you and it's all going to be the same. I I cannot, I'm waiting. I can easily wait until I'll ever let my mom know she's right when it comes to that situation. (laughs) (laughs) But she knows is the problem. You don't even have to tell her. She's like, I know I'm right. And she knows I'm right. Yeah. She's out there. She won't tell me, but I know she knows. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's so, it's insane. I think I have a couple of friends who recently um, had their first child and they're like the insane feeling I feel to just protect them, just put them in a bubble and never let anything touch them, never let anyone want to hurt them. It's mind blowing for sure. Yeah. So when we're talking about the difference between biological and step, parenting, the relationship between the two is, have you seen or even noticed the difference between? Um, I think it's, I think it's very different. And I think it's important that it's very different. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of mistakes I see people make and something that I caught myself doing a lot was I didn't know how to be a step parent, but I knew how to be a parent. So when I, um, when we joined our two families, I would find myself um, very much treating my stepchildren like they were mine, which sounds really good in theory. It sounds good in theory. Um, but I think looking back and um, going forward even, I think it's very important to... Um, not necessarily feel differently towards your stepkids. The more you can love them like your own, the better. But um, as far as the position of authority, um, really stepping back. And I tell uh, friends of mine, I'm like, you almost want to be, it's almost more of an aunt uh, relationship, like an aunt than a parent. Mm-hmm. because they have parents they um, and good grief two parents is definitely more than enough for some people but um, and I noticed also that that role uh, changes as the children grow sometimes they need more of you sometimes they need less of you and um, I, th- I think it's important that there is a difference um, not in the way like I wouldn't want them to know that. I w- wouldn't want them to see that I uh, treat my biological daughter differently than I treat my stepchildren. But at the same time, I would definitely want to um, respect uh, that step 
removed when it comes to discipline and um, making hard decisions like that and leaving that more to the biological parent. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's a really good way that you've put it, seeing it as an aunt relationship. Like it's still family, but it's a different part of family where they not get to make all decisions. I think that's the thing that I, even thinking about it, how I trying to understand the step families is really difficult for me because I, I will never seen it. I was like, how do you do the rules? Are the rules going to be different for between your child and the child that your the the family that's already been created? Like, is there a difference in the way that they are the rules that are set between the two? Yes, yes, probably so. I um, that was not something that uh, my husband and I discussed ahead of time, and I think we thought that we would. Um, even though I had read a lot of books and he did ask me um, because he knew that I had read so much about some things, but um, we, um, we were really kind of making it up as we went along when I think we could have said on the front end, um, this is what um, I'm going to do with my kids. Is that something you agree with? Or, um, this is what I was going to teach my daughter to do. Is that something you'd like to be a part of? And I remember um, a funny story from early on in our marriage. My stepdaughter was, um, she was probably 10 at this point, And my daughter would have been um, six. Mm-hmm. And my stepdaughter got her ears pierced when she was eight. And apparently the two of them had been discussing this. And they came up to me in the kitchen and my stepdaughter with my biological daughter standing next to her, she said, "Uh, Lindsay, is Caroline going to get her ears pierced when she's eight like I did? And I said, no. Mm -hmm. And she said, but and then, you know, my daughter was like, why not? Why not? And I said, this is complicated, you guys. Um, Let me put it to you this way. It will never, ever be fair. In this house, fair, we left fair a long time ago. Like it will, what, you know, is allowed for you and what happens for you may always be different. So um, it's never going to be fair. So let's just go ahead and, and know that right now. And I looked at my daughter and I said, but specifically about this situation, Sydney's mom is her biological mother. Sydney's mom does not get to decide when you get your ears pierced. And their their eyes both got big. I said, I'm not trying to say that in a mean way. I'm just saying I am still the mom, at least of you. And, um, and so her mother decided for her and I will decide for you. And so I think that was one of the times. And it was so precious because our three children immediately started calling each other brother and sister. They completely loved each other and saw each other as siblings um, immediately. And it was probably because of the age difference. There wasn't a lot of competition. Um, So I think even them, you know, being surprised, like, oh, it's not going to be the same. Why wouldn't it be the same? Well, that's, it's complicated, but just know Mm -hmm. it's not fair. It's never going to be fair. 
Um, but just uh, hang with us and just keep asking questions and we'll just let you know. So uh, that was, it was, it was just really funny when they approached me with that. And I was like, that's a pretty good illustration <laughs> on them wondering, so how's it going to be? Who's really in charge here? And um, it's messy for sure. And it doesn't come off as fair for, to them um, or to us for that matter. But again, if it's something that's, it's starting place is is a sense of brokenness. Um, it is. It has to be messy. It just has to be messy, and that doesn't mean it's not good. It just means it's messy. It's kind of in a similar way. Like I can relate to that in terms of the difference between how I grew up and how my cousins grew up. Like that's the sort okay. of yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the similarity that I'm sort of just relating to in terms of what the rules were, and they were allowed to go out till about midnight and I had to come back back by 10. So it's like Mm -hmm. similar to that kind of thing in in a sense. Yes. Yes. Perfect. But it's, it's very interesting how they can still recognize that you have to ask this person for full permission. You can't be going behind the back and go to the other person and ask because it has to be, has to be the parent. So it's, it's nice that they still recognize that kind of difference themselves. Yes. Yes. And that was something we, um, we, we dealt with in an, in an ongoing way. Mm-hmm. And, um, there were a couple tries. Um, uh, I remember my stepson coming to me, asking me something and I made a decision and then he didn't like that and went to his dad and asked the same question. And he said, did she already tell you? No. Why are you asking me? <laughs> So there were some things, and that's what that's something um, that my husband and I were able to discuss with each other and to the kids is that um, I may not be their mom, but I was the mom of this house. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband was not my daughter's father, but he was the father of this house. So in times where we did team up as a parenting team, uh, we could we could explain it that way to them um, without, you know, trying to say, I'm going to act like your mom. But no, I'm just the mom. I'm just the mom here. And so when I say, you know, let's let's bring your dishes to the sink and go ahead and put them in the dishwasher. Well, my mom wants to make me do that. That's okay. That's her house, but this is my house. So um, that's what we're going to do at this house. And um, never really got a lot of pushback. I think that was something they could, they could understand. And I'm thankful. Yeah. That sounds even, I think even biological family, they still have that trouble of the kids sort of going between the two parents. Oh, definitely. (laughs) I know I definitely did when I was younger. Like I was a bit of an adventurous child who knew she could get on dad's good side for for a little bit. So (laughs) there's definitely that. So as like, as we see, children are the most critical part of a step family and every child sort of reacts to things differently. When in terms of the ages of the child, are parental relationships most influential to step parenting? I think I think the younger the better um, just by way of um, what you're used to and what you're what what you are used to and and how 
who all you grew up with. Um, my daughter does not ever remember not having my husband and um, my stepkids in her life. That's how she grew up. Uh, she grew up in, um, and, um, but with her father and her stepmother, uh, they have, uh, she has a half sister. And so she does remember time with her dad before he was remarried and then a time before her uh, half sister was born. So um, I remember um, I have a dear friend who is also a therapist and she told me um, after we were married, she said, um, Lindsay, honestly, I think it was too soon for you and Brad. I think you two got married too quickly but it was the perfect time for the kids. It was the perfect time for the kids. So they were 10, eight, and uh, not quite four. Mm -hmm. And so they were still very open. We hadn't had the middle school, the hormones, the, the pushback, the attitude yet. And um, so I am, I am very thankful for that timing. And yes, my husband and I had to work a little harder to figure stuff out, but um, I think it was better for the kids. And um, I have a dear friend who um, got married for the second time just this past November, mm -hmm. and they have six kids together. Wow. And I think the youngest one is 13. And I, I just know, you know, they've all had life. They've all lived life without each other for quite some time. And I, I'm, I'm expecting that to be uh, very challenging for her. And we've had long conversations and, um, and obviously I told her, I said, I got your back. I'm right here. And there's no reason to, uh, to have, any fears or doubts or anything uh, alone. You're in good company. And I remember telling my husband, we were sitting there at the wedding. I was like, man, I wish I had had another stepmom friend mm -hmm. um, in those first few years that I could have bounced stuff off of because I know I made tons of mistakes and you're doing your best. And, but yeah, like you said, it's not something when you get, when you become a stepmom, when you become a mom, when you're becoming a mom, you have baby showers and there's celebrations and mm -hmm. it's wonderful, but nobody throws you a stepmom shower. It's something that's, uh, like I said, come, comes out of um, a great amount of sadness and brokenness. So it's, um, I want to make it something that's so much more normal. It is so so common with a divorce rate the way it is. Mm -hmm. It's so common. There's no reason it has to be weird anymore. It needs to be common and we need to have conversations and be able to call each other, excuse me, call each other in the middle of the night in tears and frustration and saying, I'm messing this all up or my stepkids hate me and I love them and I'm trying. Um, so I, I want that to hopefully someday I just want it to be as normal as talking about just basic motherhood. Yeah, no, I, I, it's amazing how it gets a bad rep, like, especially when it comes to TV and film and just For seeing sure. how it comes up. I mean, you see, you grow up in Disney and you see stepmother in Cinderella. I was and you're say, like, they didn't do us any favors. No, for 
exactly. <laughs> like there was no there was no place where you it was a really good thing. I think until I just saw the recent Enchanted movie that comes at, that came out. Um, oh, I haven't Enchanted seen it. The, the Disenchanted. It's, yeah, it's really it's oh, really good wow. when it talks about it. I loved, I loved the first one. I've got to watch it. Yes, it's it was incredible. Like the way that they dived into the relationship between the stepdaughter and the stepmother, it's an amazing way of how the modern world deals with step parenting. And that's when I, I when I heard I this topic. I haven't watched it. I wish we could talk about it. Get I know, out. I know. I'm so, when you see it, just, you can email me and just let me know how it goes. No, gosh. Okay. I had but no it, idea I was going to get into that. How perfect. <laughs> So for the audience, if you haven't seen it, go watch it, especially when it comes to this topic. I think it's so, it was so important. Um, so I think this leads perfectly into the next question. What are some myths or some misconceptions about parental relationships in a step family that are very common to hear? Um, well, definitely that all step people are evil, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um like you said, the very first time I ever heard of a stepmother, of course, was Disney. And so it was synonymous with bad guy. Like it just. And so anytime when as I got older and heard of, you know, my friends having stepmothers, I was like, oh, my gosh, are they so scary? Are you so sad all the time? Are they so mean? And they're like, no, no. Um but I, I didn't have a lot of uh, friends who um, who came from divorced families. And like I said, it's, it's pretty common anymore, but um, no, they're not, they're not all evil. And also I think a myth is that um, the two families um, will always be at odds. That does not have to be the case. And, and, the only way um, it can it can work in a good way is that if all four people um, want it to be a certain way. And um, I'm thankful to say that my uh, first husband and I have a good working relationship, and that my current husband and my first husband are now friends and that my daughter's stepmother and I have a great relationship. And, um, she turned sick. My daughter, our daughter turned 16, um, just this past month and her dad and stepmom came down and their daughter. And I was the, you know, we were all there together and my stepchildren, my husband, my current husband's children, we were all there and we all ate pizza and celebrated her birthday together. And it was, I remember just taking a moment and kind of stepping back and looking, going, we're family. We're a big, messy, broken, pieced together family. And only because everyone wanted it that way. If you have even one um, person in a parental role who isn't comfortable with it, it won't work. And, and that's not wrong. That's not wrong. Sometimes it's not healthy to um, maintain or try to pursue a friendship with a former partner. Sometimes it is not a good idea. Um, 
So all the stars have to really be aligned um, for that to happen. But I think it's becoming more and more common that you don't have to stay enemies with your ex. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, like I said, there are abusive situations or just really toxic situations or that people just big fat don't want it. And that's their choice for sure. Um, but when it can work out, it's, um, I remember texting, um, my first husband and his wife, uh, the next day saying that was magical. I am so thankful for you guys and that we can do this. And, um, I think that's a myth that you have to, you have to stay mad, that you have to stay enemies or that the new wife and the first wife have to hate each other or the new husband and the first husband feel competition in an ongoing way. I think that's a myth. It doesn't have to be that way. And like I said, sometimes it is, sometimes it's even better to keep um, a distance, but mm -hmm. it's, it, it also doesn't have to be that way. I think that's a really, it's really interesting just how much, like, as you say, some abusive cases that you don't, want you shouldn't have communication with them anymore but when you have that sort of balance between okay this is what's best for the kids you need both parents still want to be a part of the children's life then this is what you have to do I think it's it's nice to sort of find find a way to do it especially with kids involved and not a lot of families know that that can happen you can still be in a healthy relationship but just, just be in communication. Yes. And it took, I, I, I it, it took years. Mm -hmm. Um, we were not this way, uh, right away. And I think that was important that we all, um, had some time to heal. But like I said, thankfully my daughter was very young, um, mm -hmm. and just always remembered her dad and I getting along, getting along well. And, like I said, mainly just a really good business relationship, a working relationship. But I can say I've heard um, her father and her stepfather call each other friends and um, text each other during football games because they cheer for the same team. Or have you tried this bourbon? I tried it the other night and you would love it. And I'm like, that is so weird. What's going on? But <laughs> I remember when um, we were all at my daughter's softball game when she was younger and um, her dad, my uh, husband invited her dad back to the house to watch the beginning of a football game. And I remember her kind of pulling on my shirt and I leaned down and she said, mommy, I'm so glad my two dads like each other. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, me too, me too. And um, it's, it's not possible and it's not advisable in every situation, even for the kids. Um, I think there's some kids who would be really uncomfortable with their divorced parents in the same place. And um, that is completely valid. Um, but, but when it can work, um, it is. It's magical and it's redemption and it's, it's, it's an incredible um, it's incredibly healing and positive experience. No, I, I definitely agree, especially when you make the best out of the situation as well. I yeah. think making the best out of it is 
is really nice that you found an outcome that suits everyone, that makes everyone feel healthy in the ways that they can grow. Yes. So going into a little bit more about the practices and habits, um, what's a practice that you do or you recommend to improve your parental relationships in a step family situation? I think um, a really good mindset, and, and this is where I made some missteps, um, is that giving the child room to um, come closer and pull back and connect and disconnect a little bit of a dance while they're figuring it out. And um, even now um, that my uh, stepchildren are uh, grown and out of the house, uh, we hit a certain level of comfort. And I just assumed, ah, the plane has landed. There we are, you know, mm -hmm. and so it'll be great forever. And uh, there's still a, a push and pull. Um, and I had a conversation with my stepson recently, and I said, I will be as much as you need or as little as you need for the rest of your life. And um, I am right here if you need more of me or if you need less of me, I, I will be right here. And, um, and that's, it's not easy. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's, it can be very painful during those moments when uh, there's pulling away and uh, kind of resettling. Um, and a lot of that, you know, you could say in biological families as well, as the kids are getting older and they need you less. Um, but specifically um, in a step parenting family, um, and it might have something to do with their biological parent and how that relationship is at any given moment can um, unfortunately affect yours. And uh, I would love it if, you know, those things could be kept separate, but you know, life is messy. It's not, it's not cut and dry. And uh, like I said, I was <laughs> talking about myths and the step parents and all of that stuff. I was like, great. I have two wonderful, strong, close uh, relationships with my stepkids. And now we are sitting in the happily ever after. Well, things can still change and they always, always will. And so I think a really good practice that I wish I had um, been more prepared for, um, for their benefit as well, is to just realize um, that relationship will always be in flux and that that's okay. That's okay. I don't need to panic or feel a sense of loss necessarily because the story's not over, but that there will always be a dance, a step forward and a step back and a step to the side. And um, I think step parent is perfect. I think because there's always some step that's about to happen. Um, so not really settling in or getting too attached to what things are. And mm -hmm. I think with your biological child, there is a greater sense of security because of that blood connection. Like 
they might pull away from you, but you don't worry about losing them in the same way um, just because there is that sense of security that comes with being biologically related. Um, but the, the come and go of a, a step kid relationship can, can be, um, can be scary and can be sad and can be hard. Um, because you don't have that guarantee. It's all of a sudden they might be willing to put you on a shelf when you had been really close for a time, but then there's always the chance that they will take you back off that shelf and desperately need you again someday. And I think the best thing I can do is to just say, I'm here for as much or as little as you need. And that could be really hard for me, but guess what? I'm the parent. I'm the parent. I'm the step parent. I'm the parent in this house. And so I think it's on, on the adult to be the adult and not put pressure on the kid to um, meet your emotional needs, biologic or biological or your step kid to, you know, it's, it's on you to be the steady, sure uh, person in that relationship and um, to let them figure it out. I think it's important, especially like as, like, as you mentioned, as the kids get older and things like that, they sort of go through, I mean, even biologically, you're sort of still in that relationship where you're just not really as close as you would be because you live under the same house growing up and then suddenly they're moving on and like they're living, trying to build their own life and trying to go through a lot of stuff of their own as they sub differently to what you did, to what they did when they were under your roof. So it's, it's a nice, I love the way that you were things as well, just how I'll be there for as little or as much as you need. And having that assurance. I mean, even hearing that as a, as a kid, as a child, um, to parents from my parents is something that's really important to know that you're, they're always there. And then that, that one thing that you can really count on. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I think, uh, like we talked about in the beginning that, that some kind of family, some version of family is always going to be incredibly important to this, to our society, just mm -hmm. because there's a home base somewhere with yes. someone. And it, that's what we would call family. And uh, regardless of what that looks like in any given moment, that it's there in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. So are there some traditions in your family that sort of like bring everyone together? Like, I think you said off camera, you're talking about Christmas, everyone was together is that something that you try to do every year? We um, actually, at the beginning of our blended family, when my husband and I got married and we uh, combined our families, we were lucky enough to be able to coordinate with our former partners um, the holidays. And so... Um, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we alternate. Um, my, uh, daughter's father and I alternate. If one of us has Thanksgiving, the other has Christmas, um, every year. And we coordinated with the other family so that my husband and his and the mother of his kids, um, do it the same year, Thanksgiving or Christmas. Mm -hmm. So 
there are holidays where it's just uh, my husband and me because all of our kids are with their other uh, parents. Mm -hmm. But um, it is such a joy when we're all together for Thanksgiving or Christmas and we go see um, relatives in, um, in Georgia north of here and his mother and uh, his siblings. And so they're cousins. And um, yeah, that's been a tradition that we've been able to kind of finagle with all of the scheduling and logistics. We've been able to get all of the kids together for holidays. And, um, and we had that this year, everybody was home uh, together, the two older ones home from college. And um, my daughter was um, here um, because she was with her father for Thanksgiving and they were with their mother for Thanksgiving. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's been a tradition. And, oh man, my husband and I just like white knuckle that, like whenever anybody starts talking about messing with the schedule, we're like, no, no, nope. We <laughs> are just holding on to those holidays that are, you know, ours that we say, yeah. um, just to have something we can count on. And I'm sure um, as they continue to grow and have families of their own, that won't always be the case. But for as long as we can, we're going to take <laughs> everybody together when we can get them. Um, so how do you think that this practice or this tradition has impacted your family and also your perception of life? It's, it's just so important for all of us, I think, to have something we can count on. Mm-hmm. And... Um, marriages fail and, um, things, you know, unexpectedly happen. Um, life is, is always going to throw you curveballs. And, um, another thing we say around here a lot, or at least when the kids were growing up is they're saying, well, it should be like this. Well, it should be and like, guys, we left should a long time ago. Like, I said, we don't hang our hats on should anymore because, you know, what should have happened did not, in fact, happen. (laughs) That's why we're here. And that's why we're a family. Um, So I think, you know, with mental health being such an issue more than it's ever been now, it's important to have things you can absolutely count on without fail. And people are not perfect and people will fail you. But knowing that you're always going to have relationships with people who are trying uh, to stay connected, trying to stay in your life, trying to do right by you, knowing that those people are there um, in some definition of a family, I think I think that's just so important for all of us, like in our souls to be able to sleep at night, that there is some certainty even, you know, when everything falls apart, that in those pieces, there are going to be things in there that you can still count on. Mm-hmm. So based on your experience dealing with this tradition and finding time each year to see each other, what other recommendations of a practice or a tradition do you combine to sort of make sure that there's is another thing so that you're not just seeing each other once a year? Is there any other time that you plan on seeing everyone or seeing other people, other family members? Um, well, I, I would say when the kids were younger, spring break, we would try to, um, gosh, man, when the kids started going off to college, it was 
best. <laughs> That's a whole different story of parenting. And um, it was, it was so different. Um, and, you know, my poor daughter, who's used to having, you know, two siblings in the house with her, at least half the time is now, you know, an only child. And um, I think um, I remember uh, I grew up in a family of three and my older sister and I were close in age. And then our younger sister was a little um, uh, younger than us in age. And so when we were in college, she was um, she was the center of attention, but that wasn't a good thing. All of a sudden you're in that age as a teenager where you don't want to be center of attention. You want <laughs> space and uh, you want to be able to go in your room and close the door without your parents who, uh, whose attention was previously diluted among three kids is all of a sudden laser focused on you. And so uh, that's not always a good thing. But in the summertime, um, we have uh, for as long as we've been together. And even before my daughter and I joined the family, uh, my husband's family goes to the beach every year um, with all of the um, aunts and uncles and cousins and um so we've been able to be a part of that as well. And again, these kids are growing up and they're getting jobs and getting married and having their own kids. This new um, next generation is uh, starting to come along. So it can't always work. But uh, for anyone that can get there, when, when we choose that week in the summer, it's we all look forward to it as a time to uh, catch up and be together and stay connected. I, I love that. I love when even though you're so far away, you still have that connection and you still find the time. If, even if not everyone is there, it's still like the just knowing that you can turn up and you can be there and you can join in, I think is is really nice. It's 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 a really nice feeling to know that family is always there. So yes. I love yes. that. <laughs> So we're going to go into some of the questions from audience members that were sent in to us. So the first one is sort of say is asking how can boundaries be ensured so that step parents don't overstep and take on the role completely of biological parents? Very tricky, very tricky. Um, <clears throat> and boundaries is the perfect word. And um, in step uh, situations, step situations, step in step families and uh, step family relationships. I think it's really important that there be so just a complete um, environment of grace and ongoing forgiveness because you will overstep, you will uh, get it wrong. And um, I think. Um, and one of the things I tell friends and family and families and anyone who will listen who are in a blended family situation is never, ever tell your stepkids what to do. That's not your job. It's not your job. Um, I, and the thing is, you know, um, I think everybody can relate to um, being outside of a family and looking at a family going, oh, my kids would never act like that. Or here's the problem with what they're doing. You know, here's where they're failing as parents and here's how I would do it differently. And um, you walk into that as a step parent, you walk into it and you can immediately see the holes. 
And my husband can see all of the weaknesses in my relationship with my daughter. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And yet, without that biological connection, you really don't have the right to uh, step in. Now, we make suggestions to each other behind closed doors constantly. Mm-hmm. And we have that option on um and I, I'm thankful for his insight, not in the moment ever, you know, you don't want anyone to ever tell you mm-hmm. um, about something you're doing wrong with your child or that your child is doing something wrong. Um, but getting to a place where you can, uh, without feeling defensive, hear someone else's perspective on your child, but knowing Uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that they will never tell your child what to do, that that's your job. And again, that it's really more of an aunt or an uncle role. Um, So um, I think that's, that is a huge boundary that as adults to be able to remind each other gently, or um, like I said, there, there just has to be a, a starting point of so much grace because it is such a mess. And um, if, if you have a mindset, I am not ever going to tell my stepkids what to do. I'm just not going to tell them what to do. I might ask them if they would do something for me. Um, and it's not okay for your stepkids to disrespect you. And that's when you need to be able to count on your spouse to step in and say, hold on, you know, that's not how we're going to talk to each other at the same time. Uh, you can help with that by not trying to step into a place of authority. And it sounds ridiculous. It sounds like, oh my gosh, you are the mom of the house. You can tell everybody what to do. No, it's actually, it's bad for your relationship with your stepkids. It's actually bad for your marriage too. And um, so having, having boundaries in place can be so helpful but also knowing that those boundaries are covered on every side with grace and that forgiveness on a hair trigger because we're flawed and we're going to get it wrong as hard as we try to get it right. So um, just being willing to, I mean, going to your stepkids and saying, I totally blew it right there. I totally blew it. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And being, um, vulnerable to, and also, of course, your biological children, you're going to mess up with them and being able to apologize, but especially to your stepkids when you've overstepped, Mm -hmm. um, just doing whatever it takes to, even if for them to know, I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to get it wrong, but I love you so much. And I am going to kill myself to show you how much I love you. And Um, when I blow it, I am going to apologize because my relationship with you is a top priority. Um, but having those boundaries in place absolutely, um, can protect against a lot of overstepping, but also fully expecting that that is going to happen and being willing to back away quickly and apologize when it does. Okay, perfect. Um, the second one is how can parents teach children to accommodate and accept step families, especially younger children? I think uh, kids, honestly, the best thing that happened in our family when we first got married 
is my stepson, who was 10 at the time. Uh, my husband and I look back, we talk about it all the time. I've told him now that he's an adult and 22, I've told him, I'm like, it was you. It was you. He was, and, and I don't think either of us could have taught him this. He decided from the very beginning, I am on board with this. This is my family. And that his two younger sisters, his sister and his stepsister were watching. And he was completely on board, completely fine um, with accepting this new reality. And I was waiting based on everything I had read for a lot more conflict from my stepkids, the pushback that you're not my mom. Um, but somehow um, the two younger ones watching the older one and then my husband and I watching this child just kind of lead us into this blended family. He gave all of us permission and he had no idea. He had no idea uh, the impact that he was making. And I don't think we did at the time either, but um, and, and, it, and a second marriage in and of itself is very, very difficult because you have two people who have been very hurt uh, previously. So there's uh, a lot, the trust comes a lot slower, but uh, being able to lead your children by way of this is a good idea. This family uh, and, you know, wrestling it out behind closed doors. And I'm not saying that kids shouldn't see you have conflict and see you work through that in a healthy way. But until you can do it in a healthy way, for them to see you, you know, put on a brave face sometimes and just constantly putting out there, especially with younger kids, this is a great idea. This family is a great idea, and I love this family. As a young child, they don't they don't need to uh, watch um, the adults panic in a new situation, mm -hmm. even if that is a and and that is a very legitimate feeling in second marriages, to be sure. But as far as what you're putting out to the kids when they're young, is just. We are, we love each other. All of us love each other. And we are going to be some kind of weird piece together family and just um, putting out there a sense of confidence that you might not even have. I think it's completely okay to bluff with younger kids, the mm -hmm. fake it till you make it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. As long as you are working very hard behind closed doors to make that a reality. And I think counseling is incredibly important in a new marriage and a second marriage um, because the family can only be as strong as the marriage, really. Everybody is so worried about the kids. And I remember my husband and I um, getting counseling from that good friend I mentioned earlier. And she finally, one session, she said, oh, my gosh, you guys, stop worrying about the kids. The kids are fine. You two are a mess. The kids are fine. Stop talking about the kids. We let, let's work on y'all. And I was, and I laughed because she was right. The kids were fine. They were. We were a mess, and we were still figuring it out. But um, for them to just be able to look to us as a team and see a sense of stability that we were still working on, 
but them knowing that we were committed to working on it. I Mm -hmm. think, um, I think that was really, that that's something that you can do for your kids, putting out there this commitment to the family. Um, the reality is that second marriages fail. Um, I believe the divorce rate is just under 50% for first marriages for second marriages. It's around 70, 70% failure rate. Mm -hmm. Those are not good odds. They're not good odds. And once you've ripped off the bandaid of divorce once, I think you could rip it off much easier the second time because your threshold for what you're willing to put up with is much lower the first time I read that, I went, gosh, I would think you would be willing to work that much harder at a second marriage. You know, you would learn from your mistakes. So the divorce rate would be much lower, but it's actually much higher. So knowing that you're walking into it and it's not going to be your happily ever after, it never was going to be, not in a first marriage, not in a second marriage. It's a commitment and it's a decision to love and to forgive and to work at it because on the other side of it is these deep connections that are formed in difficult times sometimes. It's it's a really strange, it's a really interesting um, area to even dive in. I think the last question is going to be, it's going to be, it sounds pretty sad, but it's very few lines. It's just basically, how do I get my teenage stepchild to want to have a connection with me? When I uh, first got married, actually, when my husband and I were still dating, he had this amazing question that I, that just blew my mind. And it was, it was the perfect question. I've completely um, made it part of my everyday vocabulary um, is uh, what do you need from me? What do you need from me? When he and I would uh, start to bump heads or when I would be set, even just having a bad day at work, the first thing he says is what do you need from me? Because it can be different. It can be um I need you to be all up in my face. I need you to turn on almost famous. I need you to go get me some takeout. You know, I need Mm -hmm. you, or I could just need a minute. I could need some space, but I know you're out there. If I need you just being willing to, what do you need from me? And, um, like I said, with my stepson being willing to be there as much or as little as they want, because sometimes they are going to desperately want you and sometimes they're not. And there might be years, very painful years where they do not want you. Mm-hmm. But them feeling pressure or guilt or responsible for your sadness at the lack of relationship is, is going to do more harm than good. If you sit down and be like, oh my gosh, I so want to connect with you. Why don't you want to connect with me? Don't you love me? Don't you want me to love you? No, 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 no. Just occasionally, what do you need from me? When they get home from school, what do you need from me? Um, Just being there as just a steady presence even. They They might be taking so much comfort just from your presence in the house. They may not be spilling their guts to you. They may not be wanting to spend a lot of time with you, but just having you there might be ministering to them in ways you just can't even imagine. 
people. So just being willing to be as much or as little as they need and them just having those general reminders from you every day. What do you need from me? Nothing. Okay. I'm here if you need me and moving on quickly. Um, asking them a brief question about their day. Um, how did your test go? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. And being willing to not take it personally because it has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Chances are it has very little to do with you. And we give our children so much power to absolutely destroy us. And as a biological parent, you can't help it. Um, but at the same time, you have to remind yourself, they're kids. They don't know what to do with our hearts. They don't know what to do with us. That's that's a lot. We need to lead in the relationship. And even if that's just standing there and um, being a comforting presence, that relationship could very easily bloom into something later in life. Or telling yourself, honestly, I love this kid, whether he ever wants me or not. And I will be okay with that. My job in this family is to love him unconditionally and expecting nothing in return. Mm -hmm. So really lowering your expectation of that kid to meet that need that you have. Um, Learning to be telling yourself, I'm going to be okay with as much or as little as he or she wants from me. Um, Mm-hmm. And I'll be there for whatever they need and just letting them off the hook, completely letting them off the hook of um, of any kind of obligation to connect with you will free them up to pursue that connection someday if they want to. And mm-hmm. um, again, just being that present as, that presence as an aunt or an uncle, something steady, something sure, but not forceful, not aggressive, not overbearing, but just something there they can count on, I think is the best thing you can do because you cannot make somebody want you. You cannot force a relationship, Mm -hmm. but you can create that foundation, that kind of fertile um, land where something can grow. And I think um, the more space and the more freedom you can offer them to come and go, um, the better. I think that's a great that's a great answer. It's a great response to it. So, we love to give our guests this little time. It's called open mic, and just for you to be able to talk about anything that you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be related to the topic at all. It could be something that you are working on or that you want to share with the audience. So, I'd love to give you the floor, and you can just talk about anything that you feel like sharing. I think um, something that's really Im- important um, to me and something that a lesson that I keep learning over and over and over in um, step parenting in um, in uh, teaching in um, other jobs I've had in different phases of life is um, people talk about their purpose a lot and they want to know what their purpose is and why am I here and what is my purpose? And something I learned um, a while ago and that I continue to learn is that I think you can find your purpose in your greatest source of pain. And what I mean is if, 
if you want to know your purpose, you can look back at the probably the worst thing that has ever happened to you and you being willing to share with someone else going through that, you being on the other side of it, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a death in the family, whether it's a cancer diagnosis, if you can find your greatest source of pain, you have found almost um, your superpower that you can offer someone else. Being willing to share um, pain that you've been in with someone who's going through it currently can save them, can save their life, can save their sanity. Um, there is nothing more powerful in the world than saying, oh my gosh, I know exactly how you feel. And um, being able to talk to someone on the other side of what you're in the thick of. So when people talk about their purpose, and I, I had a conversation with a friend one time. I remember um, telling her, um, I had someone reach out to me and who struggled with addiction. I have never been through that, but I had a friend who has. And so I reached out to her on behalf of this person. I'm like, I need you to talk to so-and-so. Mm -hmm. This person's struggling with addiction. I don't have anything for her, I, but you do. And so the friend I was talking to who did, you know, kind of get through to the other side of addiction, she said, no, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want... I don't want that to be my identity. I don't want that to be my story. I don't want that to be my purpose. I said, well, you don't really get to pick, you know, like you don't really get the choice. It's kind of, um, I didn't pick um, my purpose to be talking to people about their divorce and blended family. You know, I didn't want that. She goes, I don't want addiction uh, to be my superpower. I said, I don't want divorce to be my superpower either. However, knowing that there's so many people out there who can benefit from things I've learned, mistakes I've made, things I've survived, even being able to point them to a book or a TED talk or a podcast that really helped me being willing to step into the worst thing that ever happened to you and use that as a platform to help other people. Because really it is at that point, you've survived it. You want to walk away from it, act like it never happened. But if you're willing to go back and stand in it and share from it with other people, you will have a giant impact on this world. We need more people who are willing to share what they've survived with people who are in the same thing. Because if you don't know, you don't know. And I remember going through my divorce and my mom saying, I can't help you. I, I, I'm your mother. I should be able to fix this. I, I should be able to. She said, I can't help you. I, I, you know, she is still married to my father and wonderful. I'm so thankful. I don't wish it upon anyone. But at the same time, I know I can help people who have been through this. And um, I think and kind of, you know, just even even being on this podcast, being willing to talk about it, if you are willing to find the worst thing that ever happened to you and not necessarily owning that and making your identity, but the redemptive part of it, the lessons learned from it and being willing to share it with someone who's in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, it is 
powerful. And I think it's something that, like I said, when you've been through something awful, you want to walk away and you want to forget about it, but you have a, a life preserver that you can hand to someone else who's still in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a mistake to, to try to act like bad things never happened. I think it's one of the best things you can do in this world to change the world, to make it a better place is to speak from a pain point that unfortunately you're an expert in now. Nobody, I didn't want to be an expert in this. And I don't know if I would call myself an expert, but I know more than people who are, you know, who are not married, people who have not been in a step family situation before. And I am so thrilled and more than willing to be able to offer that with people. And if I, if I had known someone who had been a few steps ahead of me in the process, I think I could have greatly benefited from that. Mm-hmm. So I think us being willing to go and speak from a painful experience can be a lifesaver for someone in ways that we can't even imagine. No, I love it. It's like sort of like a job position, for example, like you start off as an entry level and you have no idea where you're going, but you get that mentor that comes in and sort of Mm -hmm. teaches you how to guide you through how to survive the job or how to get through the job. And that's sort of how life is. Life is kind of like a job. I sort of see it as like you're always still trying to learn something and you're not skilled. You're not qualified for the position at all. But the more you go through it, the more years that you have on it, the more you experience it and the more you can help someone else as well. Someday you'll be in that position when you're able to help. And exactly. Yeah. So I I've think told friends that who have, at, who have reached out to me and I've helped and they're like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I'm like, you're going to do this for someone. You are going to do this for someone else someday. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you don't, I'm going to be really mad. Like, <laughs> don't, don't waste this. Like, don't stand in awe of anything. Just realize this is going to be you someday. And you're going to call me and be like, guess what? I didn't think I was going to survive that, but I got to turn around and help somebody else with it today. And that's going to be an incredible day. Um, My friend who I mentioned, who was dealing with addiction, she went through the 12 step program. Mm -hmm. And um, while I was begging her to talk to this other person about what she had been through she finally relented and she said, you know, that's the 12th step. And I said, what do you mean? She said the 12th step in the 12 step program of AA or NA or anything like that is reaching back and helping someone who's a little earlier in the process. So it's almost quite literally going full circle. Like Mm -hmm. your healing is almost completed when you're able to take that experience and help someone else with it it's good for you Mm. and it makes what you went through mean something instead of just being some useless, you know, random pain. It had a purpose and now you have a purpose and there's something incredibly redemptive about that. No, I, yeah, I love that. Especially how impactful, I mean, like even the looking at the 12 step process and I've had a look at it before and it's such a, it's really amazing how much it actually does adapt you to life even without addiction on anything applies to everything <laughs> exactly. I'm convinced. we all need to be working the 12 steps for something yeah exactly and it's it's amazing how how important it actually is and you put it into a system of it being aa or for addiction and 
But if you just apply it to life, I think it's it's even more incredible as well. I agree 100%. So I want to thank you so much for joining me today and for talking about step families and the importance of it and the differences that comes into life. Um, if there's a way that an audience, the audience would like to contact you, is there a way that they are able to? Absolutely. Um, I have a uh, website. It's a, it's slightly outdated right now, but it is still there. Um, it's lindsaystaten.com. And um, on, there's a contact page. It's just an email address and they can reach out to me. Um, I love uh, setting up phone calls or Skype calls um, with anyone, or sometimes we set up um, a coaching package and uh, we have a longer term relationship and we pursue different goals. And um, sometimes it's within a step family situation and sometimes it's more broad um, in other life coaching areas, but uh, this is definitely a heartbeat for me. And mm -hmm. just because um, like I said, there's, there's just, there's so much hurt out there and there's so many people feeling alone in it. And that's just, not necessary at all. Mm -hmm. Well, that's amazing. So thank you so much for joining me, Lindsay. And thank you for having me. What a it's, pleasure. It's amazing that you're able to join me on a Sunday afternoon, so evening. So I really appreciate <laughs> that. Of course, of course. Um, so if you guys want any more episodes, definitely head to our website and all the links will be down below. You've got the whole list of episodes on both Spotify and YouTube. So if you want to listen to it on the go and Spotify and Apple are there for you. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you guys in the next episode. You've been listening to All Together, the Family Science Insights podcast produced by Family Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at fa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent, and thanks for tuning in.